Warning. Please note that this podcast contains strong language and touches on many topics that may not be considered appropriate for a work environment. If you choose to listen to this podcast where you can be overheard, we are not responsible for the consequences of your decision. You've been warned. people we're back to go on our topic spree for our podcast we all have an x chromosome my name is bill and i'm noelle and we have a guest this week but before we get to our guest because i want to give our guest a good introduction let's just kill the business really quick um we want to hear your story our email address is write us at xchromosomepodcast.com we're planning on working on more topic based subject matter so we want to hear from you and if we have a topic that's coming up we want to be able to say hey you're going to be really good for this would you like to be on our podcast also you can check us out on the web at xchromosomepodcast.com all of our links to our social medias are there all of our links to our Patreon and PayPal are there. Thank you, Patreon subscribers. Thank you, donators. And we also opened up a merch shop that is going to slowly get built up as we get things out there. And as we figure out what you, the listenership, actually want to throw money at. Right now, it's just a lot of stuff that's branded that you could just get. Also, on your podcast platforms, like, subscribe, rate, review. Let us know what you think help us out so we get more sponsorship so we can work on getting things done we actually have fought through one of our paywalls even though our technical director has mentioned how we could go through and fight the paywalls personally but we like to pay people and if there's good journalism or good places to get scholarly things or people that we could throw money at that are experts we want to be able to do things proper yes that being said one of the things that have come up i have a friend who we're going to be introducing that is that we're calling Doge. We called him Doge at work at one of my former jobs, and the name kind of stuck, but Doge is a photographer, an activist, a smoker of fine meats. Doge is an awesome dude in general. When he, he recently had gone and did photography at the Boston Strait Pride Parade. And there was some backlash with social media recently in regards to that. So it made me think about not only his story and what, not just with the social media backlash, but in general, things such as protest fatigue and activist safety. Now, I know one of the reasons why I do this podcast is... This is my way of being an activist that doesn't fatigue me. Even though every once in a while, me and Noel will be like, the world is shit, we need to take a break for a week. So I, after 
everything happened with social media and Facebook, I was like, hey, Doge, I want to talk about this. Doge, why don't you go off and give us your reaction when I asked you about this? My reaction was I'd like to talk about it, but my Facebook account got taken down because I posted photos of people protesting, and I was questioning whether I should be as active anymore in general. And I took that at, at face value, and I was like, and I explained, well, this is what we can do on our side. And then you started giving me more of your story, which I want to say, I was like, wait, wait, I didn't know about this, because this the, the running joke is that all we really knew about Doge is about cars, photography, and smoking meats. But he started going through and explaining more about what was going on. So let's start at the beginning of why I asked you on. You're pretty much an activist. Your camera, it, to me, tells a lot of the story whenever you're out there. What do you look for when you're out there doing your thing? A lot of it is really just getting into the heat of exactly what's going on. There's like obviously like clashes going on within these protests and everything like that where people are physically attacking each other or right, you know, steps before physically attacking each other. And there's people crowding around and I'm right there trying to get pretty much photos of people's emotions. And there was a few specific characters out of the photos that I took from the very start of that parade before it actually started moving. We were actually separated by about 20 feet of just empty space between these like sort of guardrails. And we were trying to have somewhat of a debate between some of these people, especially that one guy that I took maybe like 10 photos of throughout the day. And it's, you know, it's sort of very difficult to have a conversation with somebody when there's that much distance and you're yelling at each other and your ideology is, you know, completely clashing to theirs. But um, it's, it's really all about like emotion and just trying to get, you know, see people in the moment catch their emotions on their faces and you know you see some pretty horrifying things because most of the time i've seen your other photography it's mostly i would say almost like branding marketing type photography mm -hmm. for like automobiles and things of that nature these photos i want to say and i'm not kidding when i say this your photos that you took of the parade and the surrounding reaction were probably the best photos i saw about the whole entire thing anywhere and I'm talking about like media outlets and everything like that. So when it comes down to going through and capturing emotion and things of that nature, I think you batted a thousand in that regard. I, there, I, you probably went through and only put up the best photos from what you took, but what you did put out, I want to say, is were like stellar. So I want to give you props for that. I appreciate that. One of one of the things I focused on as well, on top of like the um, emotions of people, was the signs because I always, it's it's just one of the very creative ways someone can portray their opinion without actually having to you know scream in someone's face they they draw it or they write it out onto a sign and there was a bunch of those photos that were everything from one guy saying down with this sort of thing to you know sort of my parents killed nazis and we're going to continue the the tradition type of uh posters as well yeah the one that we uh posted was the one that was the guy holding the sign hanging nazis is my heritage yeah that's the one i'm talking about <laughs> Yeah, there was some very powerful um, things, and it's it comes at a time where I I don't know. My mom recently called me a fatalist when we talk about politics. I'm fatalistic in the way where I always try to see the worst possible outcome just to get myself psyched up for it and prepared for it. Not psyched up in a positive way, sort of just like ready for it. And seeing the amount of people actually really, really creatively protesting this kind of event was actually very nice to see. It's a little uplifting. That being said, there are people on 
both ends of the spectrum that are actually causing massive damage to that um, that initiative, especially on the left side as well, because you know there's people that are very violent when they really don't have to be. Um, but that's a different topic. We can talk about that later. <laughs> so you're fatalistic in regards to your activism, because usually the only time I'm ever really fatalistic is whenever my boss says, hey, I need to have a meeting with you. So I go into every single meeting, no matter what, that, okay, this is the meeting, I'm going to get fired. So if I do get fired, I can react properly. And if it's good, everything is good from there. <laughs> um, for, for me, the fatalism is... is not just about activism it's you know general outlook you know we're currently in the stage where our environment is in dire straits and i'm somewhat fatalistic in that regard because i'd rather get myself you know prepared live you know learn things now that provided that you know if that does happen then i'll be ready for it but you know obviously i hope it doesn't but you never know yeah it's like i regard regardless of what people's opinion is on the second amendment whether or not people should be allowed to own one gun over another gun. I, I don't personally own any guns, but I do enjoy and I find it very serious to go to ranges regularly just to know how to operate a weapon provided that in the future, if it ever comes to a point where I need to defend myself, I'm available. I'm able to use all of the you know tools in my environment provided that that is required. I, for, I almost forgot about that because every time we tried to make plans to go to the gun range every something came up with me mm-hmm. that i couldn't go to that that's been my theme it's like every time we make plans about something something's come up that i can't do anything uh, so one of the things that i brought up to noel before we started is you went mentioned that you had a bunch of notes that you wanted to go through and talk about with things and i told noel i'm like look this dude's already more organized than us <laughs> <laughs> yeah i had this very uh very strong drive to buy a typewriter recently just because I find typing on a computer is the worst thing for me because it's, you know, you're staring at a screen and it's also like the wealth of all human knowledge and everything right in your background. So very little stops you from being completely unorganized and distracted. Uh, so I decided to write it by hand today since I didn't get a typewriter. Um, but yeah, no, th- there's a lot of things in like, I don't know, I I tell myself I need to calm down with activism just for my own safety, provided I'm moving to an area that is not nearly as liberal as uh, Boston is just for my own health and just to get some peace for a few years, sort of get my head in order and all that stuff. But at the same time, it's sort of, you know, in the past three hours, I have hurt my hand quite substantially just writing my thoughts down so I don't forget them. And there, there's there's multiple topics, too. You know, one of them is, you mentioned it, it's danger to protesting in terms of safety due to surveillance or, uh, you know, danger due to violence against protesters. Dangers in terms of being an activist on social media, even not even going anywhere, is incredibly dangerous. And I actually just specifically did some research to have some examples. And uh, I learned a couple things in the past few hours that I like, you know, as an activist, you learn things that you kind of wish you didn't know. <laughs> but, you know, I guess it's it's better to know the truth than be ignorant, right? That is true. So one of the things that you had mentioned when we were talking about getting you on is that you've lived through this type of thing or your family has lived through this type of thing before. So my family, I'm from Lithuania, 
and my family lived through the Soviet Union. And Lithuania historically had been a victim of its environment in the way that it has it was never as big as it used to be. Like it used to be part of the Grand Duchy with Poland and it was the most powerful country in like the civilized world as this union that was called the Grand Duchy. And then it, you know, fractured like every empire or uh, will. And over time there's just this massive distrust with people, specifically the Russians. It's known to be the most anti-Russian country in the entire world, just because in the past century and a half alone, Russia had been the cause of all, like from the Tsar times, just, you know, they had no independence. Then they finally got their independence. And then Russia and uh, uh, Stalin and Hitler just decided to split up that side of Europe and, and just sort of like, well, no, that's it. There goes your independence again. But um, yeah, my parents... I don't know if I'd say they were both activists. I know more of my mom's activism than my dad's because my mom, her father was a relatively high up member of the Soviet party, not by choice. Like it wasn't like he was passionate about being in the Soviet union. It's he was in a high end, high up position, you know, just because of career. He was, he was, I guess I would say city planner. My, my grandfather was an architect and he was, he was the grand architect for the entire city. And it was the third biggest city in the entire country. And that meant Grand Architects had multiple responsibilities, including uh, more or less city planning. Uh, no building can go up without express permission from the Grand Architect. The par for the course in Soviet times, uh, Grand Architect was a very wealthy person because throughout his career, developers would want to build any building you know, not, nothing specific, literally it doesn't matter what type of building, but if it was, if it broke laws, they would just bribe the grand architect and then their building went up and the grand architect was a very, you know, comfortable position to be. Uh, my grandfather, for reasons unknown to me, because he passed before I was really an adult and I could meet him and get to know him that way as an adult and pick his brain, never took a single bribe in his entire life. And, you know, his entire life, he, well, he wasn't poor, but he was not you know, loaded and he got death threats very regularly because these people were very powerful who he was saying no to. Um, and, you know, uh, although he really wished she didn't, his daughter, my mother, was a uh, spitfire and she had a knack for being very independent minded. So it was down to little things like they had like a, a very strict uniform, but she would wear the socks of the color of the free Lithuanian flag before the Soviets took over. And, you know, the teacher would immediately, you know, rip her out of class. Her, her dad would get called into the school. And that's like, that's not, that's no joke. You know, his position was one where in the Soviet Union, he got a nice car. He got a two floor condo instead of my dad, whose family got a one bedroom for four people. So it, it was it is a very uh, interesting time. But uh, long story short, my parents lived through the fall of the Soviet Union, and they they were relatively active. They were I, I'm not I don't think they were part of the Baltic Way, where the people held hands from the three Baltic countries just to show the world that they were not in the Soviet Union by choice, and they were being forced to stay. But they did, um, I believe, when the tanks were rolling through the town, there were some of the people that were out there, you know, holding blankets over the tanks so the tanks couldn't see. Fourteen people got run over because the, the, the Soviets were that desperate to try to hold their rule in a time when they were really already capitulating and completely collapsing. So it sounds like activism is in your blood. In, in a way, yeah. 
Yeah, in a way. What do your parents think about what you do now in regards to that type of thing, besides just being fatalistic? Well, my parents are actually some of the people that I talked to recently and have warned me that I need to be a little bit more quiet because at some certain points, being quiet is beneficial for the individual. Uh, on top of many things, social media being the place that I am the most active is actually a very scary place because this information is not mine anymore, even though I put it up and now it's like this public profile on my mentality. Part of the research that it actually, it's an interesting thing. So in 2018, specifically in Massachusetts, state police accidentally exposed the scale of their surveillance for left-wing groups. Funded by tax dollars, they were spending time monitoring groups on Facebook, and the specific groups are MAAPB, which is Max, uh, Mass Action Against Police Brutality, the Coalition to Organize and Mobilize Boston Against Trump, which is Combat, uh, Facebook 413, Facebook Massachusetts Activism and Resistance Calendar, which is just uh, a group that is essentially a calendar for canvassing for Democratic and progressive candidates and anti-Trump rallies. So one of the interesting things is Combat, the coalition organized and mobilized Boston against Trump, actually was inactive since 2017, and this came out in 2018. Um, so it's not just that there's their surveillance on you know active left-wing groups; it's they're they're actively continuing to pursue surveillance on groups that aren't even active anymore in case they become active again. Um, and the members of that group after the story went out realized that they were probably now on some list somewhere just because they were part of an inactive group that they never left when it was inactive. Um, and they were like very you know, disconcerted about it. On top of that, ACLU of Massachusetts they obtained public records and requested documents that showed Boston Police Department's Boston Regional Intelligence Center, which is the only one in the area in, in like, you know, I think that the entire city used a surveillance system called Geophedia from 2014 to at least 2016, but it's not known if they used it after that. After the ACLU investigation into this, Facebook and Twitter immediately suspended access to Geo, uh, access for Geophedia to go into their servers because it because they found thousands of posts that were saved using that system that um, the ACLU determined to be completely irrelevant to law enforcement concerns. And essentially, Geophedia is a way to pull all social media posts, not based on catchphrases or words, but on location. So every single social media post based on location will be pulled. I never even heard of Geophedia before this. There's probably a reason for it. Uh, more than 500 government and uh, police clients as of uh, 2018 for Geophedia. I'm not sure. I, I didn't have really that much time to look into whether Geophedia is still in use, but as of the 2018 when that article was written, after that happened, they still had 500 police clients. So yeah, so when you consider things like that, and then like consider China's uh, social credit score system, where they have facial recognition scanners that are just like ambiently on all around, and they literally have a social social credit score. So you have a low social credit score. You simply won't be able to buy a train ticket to like a different city in that in China. I don't know. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that. Personally have not, but at the same time with all the protests going on in Hong Kong, I'm not surprised. Something that, you know, when I'm, I've mentioned the social credit score system and all the uh, facial recognition scanners to people in America, and I find that you know, th there's a saying Hard times breed strong men, and easy times breed weak men. And it's it's a very interesting thing that people 
in this country have never witnessed war on their land in in 150 years or, or something like that, right? And it makes people not realize how quickly it can go from seemingly organized government and organized society to complete chaos. And you can see this everywhere else in the world because there are wars fought on people's backyards as opposed to America where we're very isolated from it all. But one of the things I, uh, one of the points I wanted to make about the um, social uh, credit score system is that those facial recognition scanners are everywhere in China. And when it comes to drones in America, so there's actually currently no real conversation done as to police using surveillance drones in public and there's actually, very, it's very interesting and scary to research, there's very few laws against and limiting surveillance for, uh, against civilians. And it's like something that uh, there's very few news stories about, but it's been growing since the Border Patrol was allowed during the Obama administration to start using drones as surveillance on the border. Now there's like, you know, regular city police sta- uh, stations and forces that can purchase drones for surveillance for operations here and there, kind of like they're uh, given military equipment for that surplus. Noel, do you have anything to say? Oh, it's... <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot, I know. It's like so many topics. <laughs> so many topics. <laughs> so many things. But I'd heard about the social the, the social credit, facial recognition. Someone somewhere is the arbiter of appropriate behavior and will super judge everybody. That sounds like a terrible idea. I'm I'm right there with you, but it it, I, it it's a question as to like you know that that's it's too late for China in terms of like change because you know Hong Kong is Hong Kong. Hong Kong has had its very unique history, and it's the only place within China that could ever have these sort of protests or anything even remotely like them. That being said, whether these protests will actually cause change to happen is to be determined and nothing that these protests change in hong kong i really think would ever splash over to mainland china unless there are external stimuli outside of that especially bearing in mind that actually right now is pretty much the 70th anniversary of china and they you know they're they're going real hard it's back you know to the hey we have a missile that'll hit the u.s in 30 minutes and it's got like 100 warheads and some crazy stuff like that and it's you know back to the sort of posture nuclear posturing of the cold war and they're literally like we have now survived one year longer than the soviet union it's just like yeah and you're literally you have concentration camps for the muslims of your country congrats you're really not doing well yay yeah i'm like go ahead nuke the u.s you'll lose one of the largest markets for all of your crap yeah and you'll destroy the entire planet in the process it's yeah, it, well, it's I'm the planet kidding. is already teetering on the brink of climate collapse and a few nukes added to that pot is not going to be beneficial to anybody well between our corporations and china's corporations everything needs to be fixed for us to even fix the planet in that regard so yeah. that's a different topic for i think a different day which i would also happy be happy to talk about at some point maybe well, at the same time, it's like with the climate protests recently, which is still on topic, but still off topic at the same time. So I will say, well, yeah, you're right. That is relatively on topic without getting too far into the whole specifics of the climate aspect of the protesting. One of the things I found very interesting, I was actually working that day and I work in the in Boston in, in town and I saw those protesters. And it was actually very interesting, that very pleasant to see that it was a lot of young children who probably, because it was like this whole initiative to like you know hey fellow children let's skip school and 
protest the climate, screw the, the adults and the adults. And it's just like, go, yeah, go kids. I support that a lot. And it's like, it's very crazy compared to, you know, the protests, uh, that, that straight pride parade protest. It was mostly, you know, adults because kids are not, you know, no parent is going to let their child go to that kind of event. That's dangerous. You know, people were, were getting hurt. People were getting cigarettes put out on them and stuff in that uh, protest. The climate change protest, the straight pride protest, obviously. Yeah. Well, when you're having a straight pride parade, you're not already not the best people. So I wouldn't want my children around them to begin with. Yeah. I, ironically enough, that event actually had nothing to do with straight pride because, like, the main thing in the event was a Trump 2020 trailer being pulled by like a like a broken down 90s suburban that was like creaking and barely pulling the thing which was hilarious because that truck had a support our troops sticker on it and Mm. trump just cut military funding just to build the wall yeah exactly we all know that it was really about white supremacy because anything supporting straight white and male is automatically oppression. So actually, that's a good segue to the current, what was it that we were uh, talking about in terms of governments falling and everything like that? I kind of have something to say in terms of civil wars. Yeah. Very appropriate now, since our lovely president has decided to openly even posture towards civil war. In this, uh, I've, obviously, I feel like you know the, the prospect of a civil war has increased pretty dramatically recently. And, you know, Trump has always been very violent on, on Twitter, um, and he's always yeah, ramped no, it up more. On Twitter. Well, yeah, yeah, but definitely not just yeah. on Twitter, but his rhetoric has always been very violent at a core. Yes. like it. And, and he, it's a campaign of victimhood, but it's victimhood in the way that empowers the non-victims, essentially. Like, these, none, none of them are victims. No, none of these people are victims. They're blind leading the blind. I did, I, at one point, my parents and I were talking about what Trump could possibly be, because, you know, I, I, when I was younger, uh, in 2012, uh, before my parents left, they moved out of Boston, um, I had dinner with them and my, uh, my best friend. And we were actually talking about, you know, government and politics and stuff like that. And at one point, they mentioned that they were afraid that um, Russia might try to influence American politics. And this is back in 2012. It's a very eerie story, but they were essentially saying, they were telling us about like, you know, there's a part of Russian government that specifically works towards manipulating the world for Russia's distant long-term benefit. This is, you know, political interference. This is funding rebels of one sort just to topple the government, whether or not the rebels are moral or, you know, it literally doesn't matter. It's all about influence and interference. One step back for the next biggest power or slightly smaller power is another step forward for Russia because, you know, Russia's position in the world just took up just like one step higher a little bit. And they were warning us about that, about, you know, how like they were telling us uh, about Putin's rhetoric in terms of, you know, like lie, 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 lie again and lie until you have lied so much. Everyone knows you're lying and no longer cares to discern the truth from the the falsehood. And Everything they said happened. It was like eerie. It was really eerie. And it also recently I talked to my dad about he, he 
he was giving me crap for not really trying much in school because I, I lived a relatively easy life. And I just sort of was like, oh, you know, like I'm going to go skip school and, you know, smoke a cigarette. Oh yeah. Um, and, and um, smoke some meat. Yeah. Yeah. Just like literally do, do any, anything other than go to school. And um, he always, he always gives me crap for it. And I asked him, I was like, Hey, question. So, you were in school in like the seventies and the eighties, the early eighties. And I have done so much research about the Soviet union because of certain reasons, like, you know, family reasons, whether it's my family's history or like, you know, my mom got cancer from Chernobyl. It's a crazy story, but she beat it and she no longer has a thyroid, but that is like Chernobyl is a part of my family history. This is all desperately fascinating. I asked my dad, I was like, hey, okay, so like you, you for like 10 years now, you've given me so much crap that I didn't try as hard as you did in school. And I just want to pick your brain about it. Did you at the time in like the early 80s when you were in your last years of high school, did you see coming the fall of the government? Because knowing what I do about the Soviet Union, the, it's like the height of Soviet Union was in like the 60s, right? The 80s is when there was things were still going good, but that's at the point where the Soviet Union was like posturing to keep itself in power at, in, in deep inside. It probably wasn't even apparent yet in like the uh, early 80s to the rest of the world. But when you live in the country and it's like changes with the quality of food that's available changes with like this the amount of food that's available very little things that you live with day to day and no one you know the common man has no voice in the soviet union you know you couldn't listen to the beatles my mom had to uh stay up until 3 a.m to listen to the swedish radio illegally to listen to the beatles just because they were illegal so it's like you know you you have no way of actually getting the fact that oh my god you know like two years ten years ago we had like three loaves of bread in the supermarket now there's one maybe what's going on but in the early 80s russia had to keep a, a very strong image to the world just so you know that's governments for you um and I asked my dad, well, you know, were you trying extra hard in school thinking, oh, my God, you know, like this government might fall? And he said specifically his words, I thought, yes, in my lifetime, I would see it fall because the signs were coming and it would happen. But uh, maybe like 20, 30 years. Right. And ironically, when I was this is a few months ago or maybe a month or two ago, when I t talked to my dad, I was thinking the same thing. Well, you know, shit's getting a little sketchy here. Thing, maybe in my lifetime, I'm going to see this place get, you know, really hit the fan. And just in the past two months, things have gotten bad. The, the president just tweeted about starting a civil war, possibly, because of getting impeached. And that's like, that's not okay. That alone is grounds for impeachment. There's a, a Harvard law professor that's actually arguing that that alone is grounds for impeachment. So even if nothing else he did is, that is insinuating not only that, you know, like you're wishing danger and you're actually like trying to uh, harm the whistleblower, but you're also trying to incite a civil war. See, and that, right, you mentioned the whistleblower. That's another thing that boils down to the safety for anybody trying to do anything to like say something's wrong or activists. You now have this whistleblower that is afraid of what might be happening to them and needs to be under protective custody because the president you know, is out to get him. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Hey, back in my day, you know what we did to the spies? We executed them. 
Excuse me? Like, excuse me? (laughs) All right. A lot of very interesting articles. I I haven't really read up on it enough to comfortably go into it myself, but there's a lot of very interesting articles. And I was interviewed multiple times during the protest because I, as, as you know, I'm working on stepping down my activism because I specifically went there to be a member of the press. I did not want to have an opinion, but I, I have a struggle biting my tongue. And I was interviewed by a few of like the right wing media that was there um, just asking me. And, and one of them, I don't know the guy's name, but he's like some, some hotshot right wing blogger or something like that. And I, I actually specifically talked about how, you know, this initiative uh, to essentially troll the liberals is causing them to be more radical, even if they're regularly mo- like relatively moderate people, just because you're really pushing their buttons and you're like, hee ha, hee ha, it's kind of funny. But this is going to actually cause a civil war. There's, you know, there's um, uh, historians comparing this time period, the past 50 years, to be comparable to the 30 years before the civil war, where there's an irrepressible conflict that cannot be avoided. But everyone knows it's there and no one's doing anything about it. And there's going to be something that triggers it, whatever it may be, economical, you know, racial impeachment. Whatever it is, there's a conflict brewing. And um, today I read a really interesting article talking about posturing for the ultra-rich before the, um, specifically the slave owners, before the Civil War and what happened since 1954 to 2019 in terms of like politics and the rich getting tax cuts and everything like that. Essentially, there's this push to the rich get out extra mega, mega rich to protect their wealth and then there's like this you know it's a pattern that happens throughout civil wars and that's apparently happened since 1954 so if you haven't already seen the movie by now too bad spoilers pointed out like with the last last jedi people that there, there was a scene with the basically about the people that get rich are those selling weapons on both sides of the war yep that's a. Uh... Pattern throughout history. You want to know a fun fact about World War II? You know what the Luft... Yeah, everyone knows what the Luftwaffe was, right? Mm-hmm. Guess who sold the Luftwaffe all of their fuel? The U.S. Standard Oil Company. Okay, that's terrible. I mean... And, 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 and then, uh, you know, welcome to the military-industrial complex of the current era, where you have companies selling weapons to both sides through different factories. There's, like, you know, it's a common practice, and, like, you know, you go on Amazon, you can find, like, the camping table made by, like, seven different companies with really funky names, identical photos, identical designs, and they're shipped from probably the same factory. They're just different company names. Same happens when it comes to, like, you know, you sell weapons to this country, which then sells them to the other country that legally in your country, as the arms manufacturer, you couldn't sell to directly, so they just go the second route. It's like it's kind of like that. A graphic's been making the uh, way around the internet about supermarkets. That if you really pay close attention, your supermarket only has seven brands, and eight if you include a store brand, because they break down everything that's usually sold the supermarket via brand name all the way down to like the seven brands, like PepsiCo and Coke and mm-hmm. Unilever and things like that. So just like what you're saying, just subsidiary companies are able to go through to do what needs to be sold elsewhere in the in war. Yeah. I mean, like, I believe that 
GE, for example, most of their money actually comes from research and development for like engines and other type of weapons and things like that. I remember when I was an Air Force brat and I was going through and researching some stuff for airplanes. I'm noticing all these guns and things like that are created by General Electric. I'm like, what? Wait, what? Mm-hmm. I'm, I have a question that I'd, I'd like to sort of just throw out and, and all of us discuss. And it's, and it's something that I've, since you've asked me about, you know, whether I would come on here and I mentioned that, you know, I'm taking a step back and you said, oh my God, well, I mean, your voice needs to be heard. And it just got me thinking, um, in terms of ideologies and, and I, I mentioned to you, I, part, part of my move is being able to take time without distraction to just research more of, you know, how masses of humans mentalities shift over time and what patterns there are just things like that just to have some peace and do that and um there's there's a pattern that you find throughout history where ideologies that go down fighting rise again but those that surrender like tamely are finished forever in terms of like you know if if you don't go down fighting a good example is uh the rise of nazi germany the common person did not fight back the common person either didn't understand the small steps that were taken or um, specifically in the case of Berlin, Berliners were not very like anti-Semitic at a certain point in time and everything, but they kind of kept their head down and they just like, we're just like, we're just trying to get by. We're going to be fine. Like, uh, you know, just live life. Don't worry about it. Everything will be fine. It's a sort of a question I put out in terms of activism and protesting, you know, they're cornerstones of democracy, but in an increased surveillance uh, state and where there's a a proliferation of military equipment throughout the police that would be fighting back uh, in a surveillance state where just being in the environment, in the area, and you're on camera somewhere around a protest, you might be blamed for it. There was, a, I think, a 15-year-old kid in Hong Kong was arrested, and his family didn't see him for, like, a day. And then the police called him, say they was in jail for, like, three days or a day or so or whatever. And he was just happened to be in the area. He went to a movie theater with his friends and then happened to walk through an area that was a protest in before, was wearing a black shirt and a surgical mask just because, you know, pollution or whatever, and they put him in jail when he's 15. My question to you guys is... Because the First Amendment right of freedom of speech is now essentially being tested in a ways in a way that it could never have been tested before because of technology now being more prevalent uh, prevalent than it was before. What is your opinion on activism, safety, and what like what what steps are there to take for the common person? Noel, I would say first off, and this is weird, actually, know your rights because this is something fightable. I've done some research on free speech and on non-citizen rights and things like that. And there are certain things in the Constitution that are, in fact, guaranteed to everybody within our borders. So it's important to know what, what those are in case you are terrifyingly, because this is now a thing that we have to worry about, declared a non-citizen, because, you know, that can happen now. It's happened to children it's happened to veterans it's happened to a bunch of people and that's super wrong so know your rights demand a lawyer you're not you don't have to answer questions you don't have to talk to the cops unless they come back with the right paperwork know your protest rights 
the ACLU has pamphlets about exactly what you are protect, you know, what the law of the land is. And while that is being tested, there is a lot of case law that backs up pretty much anybody's ability to be shitty or say whatever in this country. Um, Whether good or bad. Good or bad. I, as a librarian, I have an odd relationship with hate speech because as a sane human being, I understand that hate speech should not be protected speech like other forms of speech, like government protest is explicitly listed as protected in the First Amendment. That is something that should be absolutely sacred. But things that incite to violence, things that are quoted by mass shooters as the inspiration for their ma- their violence, that should not be protected from consequences. Art should be protected, you know, as a freedom of expression, but dehumanizing speech. Yeah, it's it's like it's the whole question of oh, should you punch Nazis? And it's like, well, you have to like accept everyone, man. It's like the whole. Um, it's been like this this uh, argument with neo Nazis in America about oh, well, freedom of speech, and yes, you have freedom of speech, but at a certain point, you can be acceptant. But you you can't accept uh, an inherently hate driven ideology that is actually there specifically to eradicate the acceptance of speech. Like for yeah. that speech it's to exist, the paradox it, of tolerance. Exactly. Yeah, and you can't argue that oh, freedom of speech protects the paradox of freedom of speech if you're some if you're actually if your platform is about the suppression of uh, free expression. You can't claim that you're protected by the freedom of expression. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it, you know, one thing I find crazily interesting. It's it. I had to come to terms with this after I grew up. So, I spent my childhood reading, you know, like Animal Farm in 1984. Not because my school made me, though it did years later. But I read those books when I was a really young child, specifically like 1984, and I. Probably didn't understand it back then, but when I read it again when I was maybe, I don't know, in seventh grade, I understood more of it, and then I read it again when I was older and all that stuff. It's fa- it's fascinating how true, like, it's, like, such pinpoint predictions on certain topics. You know, 1984 is, like, a, a whole world, like, you could probably talk about 1984's parallels to current world like you probably talk about that for hours and hours and days that and brave new world and yes handmaid's tale i mean those were not supposed to be instruction manuals they were supposed to be warnings somebody can get the memo yeah and it's and another thing um i actually looked up i was uh spending some time with my parents and and when i was really young like we we had like the first i don't know maybe seven series of simpsons on dvd because it was just like a really wholesome show back in the day and then they like the topics sort of like started running out i think and it started getting pretty lame but um there was that episode where trump became the president right and there was a interview in 2016 which i'm definitely going to send to you guys because it's actually very interesting uh 
the writer of that episode was quoted in saying that he wanted to create an America that it was as broken as he could possibly consider it, where, God forbid, someone like Trump becomes the president. And it's just like, Trump became the president. Like, what timeline is this? I didn't vote for this timeline. (laughs) One of the things that, in regards to the Second the First Amendment and freedom of speech, I would say I would find it would be maybe a positive aspect of it is that a lot of these a lot of these people on the right are scared with just the idea now that they might be found out because of social media. Yeah, like when those tiki burning the tiki torch thing that year years ago. It was like yeah. three or four Charles years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When that happened and then the people started actually losing jobs for it. That kind of, I think that probably changed a few people. One of the things that uh, when the KKK was going to be at Daytona, uh, not Daytona, Dayton, near Noel's neck of the woods, one of the things that was happening before the rally is that there were KKK members saying, yeah, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be armed on social media. And people were taking these names putting them in the databases saying, huh, looks like you have a warrant. You're not supposed to have weapons and you're not supposed to be socializing with other felons. Let me go and let notify the police that you're going to be there. If you're too stupid to conspire in secret, you're too stupid to not go to jail. But people are finding, and that's the thing. It's like, that's the one thing that their quote unquote freedom of speech is helping with getting things done. There was recently a Hollywood writer that was in a CVS that was basically shouting, end this, end that, slavery, blah, 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 blah. It got put out on social media, and she immediately like lost all of her writing gigs. And these were like Hollywood writing gigs, too. Uh, or not writing gigs, costuming gigs. That's what it was. Wait, was that the one, the woman that was like walking out into her car? And she lost her shit, and then she lost her job, and then she apologized for getting caught. I only saw the video of her walking to her car, and some dude walked past her. It was like, "Damn, lady, chill!" And she was like, started going off on him too. I'm just like, "What the hell is wrong oh, with you?" Oh, Heather Patton. <laughs> oh, I gotta look that up. On September 24th, Los Angeles CVS Pharmacy. On Colorado Boulevard. And that is her. Boulevard. That's the exact person. The video. Yeah. <laughs> if you watch that video, she's like hysterical. And some dude walks by. He's like, damn, like, calm the hell down. And she's just like, oh, my God. This I hate bleep. The video begins with Patton standing at the store entrance. Um, when this is, says Patton's rant began before a woman started recording her, according to The Heavy. Another woman in the background can be heard. I was suddenly a 911 call. The woman... Making the call sounded like she was providing the dispatcher with Patton's license plate number before how Patton drove into the parking lot like a crazy person. And when the woman recording Patton's rant said she was on drugs or something, Patton replied, no, I just hate blank. Fuck you, blank. Notice we'll say fuck, but we won't say the other word. Yeah, well, I mean... Because society. Well, Well, I'll say... Fuck yeah. is a non-offensive word, and pejoratives are pejoratives. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, mean, I, I know I somebody that will not say the F word. 
Well, their priorities are wrong because they probably say no. They don't say the other word either, but they don't say the F word. No, but I, I they probably say other pejoratives or ableist or use ableist terms. I mean, how many people do you know casually say the word gypsy and then get flustered when you point out that that's an ethnic slur and to stop using it? I don't care if it's your business name. Fucking fix it. Oh, yeah, but really the the quote of the thing is, I hate blank, I would kill blank, but the law says I can't kill the blank. If the law didn't say I couldn't kill the blank, they'd all be dead. Honey, uh, you need to go to jail immediately. That's the sort of speech yeah. that should not be protected from um, immediate consequences, because I'm pretty sure somebody is going to be emboldened by that rant and go fuck someone up. Yep, and from what I understand, and I'm going to try to find that too, she took to like Instagram like a couple of days later, crying, saying that she was sorry. Oh, you sorry she got caught? Don't yep. piss in my ear and tell me it's raining, lady. For one of the headlines is, after Heather Patton's recent rant goes viral, a fellow customer seeks her union expulsion. So, yeah. This is why freedom of speech is good, because if they do this shit, people are going to know about it, and people are going to name you. And that's the positive power of social media, is we can use it to expose these fuckers for what they are. They're not, they're not able to hide their losing platforms where they can scuttle around in the dark and organize. And the unexpected benefit and the only benefit of a Trump presidency is that they think they're safe to speak out, and they're not. <laughs> there was this really interesting argument being made that, sure, yes, short-term damage of Trump's presidency is grave and it could be more severe like question have you guys either of you read uh you guys know azimov uh the science fiction writer i do have you read the foundation trilogy it i mean i was in maybe sixth grade so it's been a hot minute i would recommend rereading it especially with modern day it's a uh, very fascinating that's part of the reason that i consider trying to learn more about mass movements of people's mentalities, because that book is about that concept. It's called psychohistory in that book where uh, this guy sees the fall of the empire at the height of the empire. And the empire is like, you know, ostracizing him and everything. Wow. How can you, it's treason, blah, 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 blah. And the guy's like, well, I mean, I'm not causing it. They're saying he's going to cause it because he's going to get that idea into people's minds and yada, yada, yada. So, the, the, yes, the short-term harm is very, uh, it could be as bad as, I mean, like, consider this. America has never been tested like this. Worst case, it could be the entire fall of the United States of America, permanently. That could happen. Bad scenario, yes, let's not linger on it, but the possibility, it, it could actually genuinely happen. If you just consider literally every single possibility. That being said, it could be something as as you know, minor as just this very tense period in our time, the positive things in the long term, provided it's not the worst case scenario, is the fact that our government is now so much more aware of interference. Other governments actually, because of 
the interference in our politics notice patterns between their interference in their politics that they couldn't trace. And now they're like, oh shit, probably Russia, because Russia does that, specifically interferes with com- like countries just for their own gain. It's actually opened eyes to more corruption, things like that. So yeah, I feel like the short term, it's dangerous. Like the, the, the slip could be very bad. I feel like people have smart enough heads on their shoulders to, to prevent that. My dad actually has a very fascinating idea about that. He, um, there, he, when we were talking about this, he said, there is actually also another possibility you're not considering. And I was just like, what? And he said one that I couldn't have thought of in a million years. He said there could be a coup. And I thought the worst possibility, like, oh shit, Trump gets impeached and he doesn't leave, which is actually something that the um, defense ministry and uh, whatever, like the national state uh, NSA and all that stuff. And the CIA actually made, has like, workshops thinking around what happens when a modern president refuses to leave office. Yeah, so they've already got a plan. Well, I, I know they do. Of course they do. They probably did when he got into the office because of all the possible shit. You know, like, they can't prove anything yet, but just in case, right? But no, my dad actually thought the other way around entirely. He said that uh, there's a possibility that the CIA or whatever intelligence committee, because there's never been once really any doubt or discussion even amongst the intelligence committee about Russian interference, about all these things. They're in a complete consensus that yes, there was interference. And like, you don't learn, you don't know what the CIA is doing until like 70 years later. And we made that joke. I'm like, I can't wait to read the CIA stories when I'm on my deathbed. But um, there is actually a possibility that, you know, if shit hits the fan, the CIA literally might for the safety of the country, like remove a president. It's never happened before, but, you know, as I said, these, this is going to be one of the most trying times for this country in its entirety of its history. Well, to point something else out, it's like, let's look at all the people that Trump goes through and attacks. All right, we already know minorities. We already know anybody that's got a skin color that's not white. We already know the press. We already know judges. One of his other favorite targets is the FBI and the CIA. Yeah, they're only going to put up with that for so long. Think about, look, look at Fox News as a perfect example. Fox News has acted like an arm of Trump's presidency. Like They're like a little par- mini propaganda ministry for years. And now things aren't going very well for Trump's presidency. And Trump's White House is in easily the worst state it's ever been, especially with you know impeachment concerns. And now... Fox is, I, I don't know if you've paid attention to this, actually one of my favorite things is having uh, Google News on my phone. It's because you can actually do view coverage and you can have one article, let's say like Fox News wrote this article, but you press the view coverage and it shows you that article written by every news source on the list. And it's fascinating reading CNN and then Fox because they're both like radical on both ends, one less than the other. Fox is obviously very heavy into emotionalistic uh, rhetoric to you know incite emotions and in the people who don't really think much more than the average bear fox news actually recently it's it's very easy to notice when you have a news like a media source that has been so wrapped up in a specific president and it's literally been defending him non-stop and then recently there was i forget what specific topic it was but it was like one of them or two of the presenters didn't like 
didn't agree with Trump's what he did at all, right? Like they actually like specifically called him out on it. And Trump tweeted something, something, something. You guys don't work for me anymore, or they no, they're not working for us anymore. And the the presenters tweeted back. They're like, "We never, we never fucking worked for you." We're like, and it's but but it's interesting to to like. Even the common person can kind of tell the wild bias in Fox, but Fox is now having to consider life after Trump because it's part of the reason that Fox is very uh, caught up in Trump's presidency is because of their ratings. Because Trump, Trump makes some good ratings for Fox. I mean, it's like sensationalized news. It's obviously going to have its own niche, and that is a big niche right now. And they're having to consider life after Trump. <laughs> To the point that in the past week there have been what, what's the Carlson Tucker like the is, is that the oh, guy's fuck name? That. Fuck that! The, the, he's that like the the real the real the real piece of shit. Tucker Carlson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. I'm actually gonna close that, close that tab. So he's obviously he's 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 never been anything other than a yes man and for for Trump. So he's still diehard yes man for Trump. But there's like I forget exactly who it was. I'll have to find the. Um, article and send it to you guys and there was somebody on like the earlier part of fox during the day was calling trump out on things and this the the guest was also calling trump out on things saying like yeah i mean like he shouldn't be asking a foreign country for dirt on a political opponent back at home that's asking for interference for an election that's that's blatant it's just ridiculous and then later in the day Tucker or whatever, or maybe it was Hannity. I don't know. One, one of them. They all sound the same. I know. I don't. They, they all. Sense. Yeah, I know. I it's like it. who who puts more dye in their hair? Probably Tucker. But anyways, um, you know, sure Hannity's is wearing a weave. You know, <laughs> probably it looks like it gets gets mowed by a lawnmower instead of like. <laughs> I was planning on dyeing my hair a normal color. <laughs> It, because of all the grays. Now that you guys have said that, I'm like, screw it, I'm going to go back to shaving it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, to put it this way, uh, my mom worked in the fashion industry for, for more than a decade, and uh, because of that, she had to dye her hair for years, and actually she just finally grew the dye out of her hair for the first time, and I've never seen her like that. And she looks calmer. And it's the craziest thing. Like, she looks somehow calmer because she's just... It's just weird. Like I, I don't know. Like she's she's a fifty-two-year-old woman. Like it's, she's not. Oh gonna my have, god, like... you're a baby. Oh yeah, oh. I I forgot oh, yeah. to tell you. I forgot to, when you made that sixth-grade comment, Noel. I was thinking. I don't think Doge was even born then. No, I. Um... Yes, he was the youngest person on my team, and I just remembered like, wow, you're not even. Ha- I'm like double your age. I was born uh, four years after the Soviet Union fell in 1994. Oh my god, you're a baby. I was in, hi- I was in a high school. Not far into high school. <sighs> yeah, we were we were both sophomores in high school when Doge was born. It's okay. I don't take you any less seriously because you are, in fact, a, you know, so much younger. It's, it's interesting because what you experience and who, like, for, like, 
your your life changes how mature you are and the things you're passionate about. You know, I, I spent my childhood. So my family story is, is relatively interesting and it's worth mentioning. My dad left before I was born, a few months before I was born to America. He uh, went to college and was like living in a mattress in a room with eight people and other immigrants counting pennies on the windowsill to get two 10 cent cans of peaches for per day working two construction jobs, saving money to have an apartment and going to some sort of school. He eventually uh, graduated with a master's from Tufts, won the citizenship lottery, got, you know, citizenship, got a job doing user interface design in 98, started making six figures and the rest of the family moved over. And so then my mom stayed, we all lived in Boston. My mom was homeschooling my sister and I was going to school and it was very nice, very healthy time. And then my mom decided to get her master's. So she moved to New York City, still married with my dad. And no American kid my age understood it when I said my mom lives in New York. And they're like, oh, when did they get a divorce? I was like, no, <laughs> they just didn't. It's just crazy because like my parents lived in different cities. My mom come, came back to Boston on the Fungwa bus, which was like 10 bucks back then in, in like 04, 05, uh, back to Boston just to see us every weekend. Hey, to be fair... You can still take the mega bus from New York to Boston if you buy them in advance for ten bucks one way. Yes, I will say that, but it was so different back then. So I there's yeah, like a crazy... ice wasn't randomly board, boarding your bus to harass people. Yeah, that for sure. Because now we have the police of this country saying "papir and bitta," just like uh, the fucking Gestapo used to. But let's not get into that too deeply. I, I remember being 13 years old, getting on the bus, and the the woman come up who came up to me, who was like counting the tickets and everything. She's like, "No, no, you're too young." And I was like, "Ah, shit." She's like, "Yeah, move back one seat. We don't want you to fly out the windshield if we have an accident." I'm just like, um, okay. So I moved back one seat, and it was all cool. It was kosher. That's it. I'm good. I'm going back to like going to New York by myself. <laughs> but see, that's one of the things, though, is your age. That it's when you mentioned scaling back your activism. I was like, I'm an old Gen Xer. I don't have time to be going deep into the trenches that Doge does to get his activism on. We need, like, these young millennial upstarts to do what we do what they can to protest. I mean, we'll fund and we'll give voices to, like, raise voices if necessary, because we're old, we're tired, our knees hurt, please help us. Look, I'm 25, my knees hurt, okay? I have back pain when I wake up, too. (laughs) And, of course, you can't afford insurance, because insurance. Even though Massachusetts requires you to have insurance. Uh, but yeah, it's like one of those things like with you being like at even though you you got you have your own pains, you're at least out on the you're out on the streets taking photos, things like that. And when I heard that I was like, No, no, youngin, you must continue for us, for the ones that cannot do what you do. So that that's also part of that question. A few of the things that I said actually now uh, are partial quotes or a few of the things that I've written down. And part of that question I asked you guys, uh, some of the words are actually taken from Winston Churchill. 
who was advocating for fighting uh, the Nazis uh, while part of the cabinet, because this was uh, before Dunkirk was successful evacuation. Their entire army was about to be literally massacred. And Churchill, who had a history of making military blunders and losing like thousands of lives, but bearing in mind that was World War I, where it was like you would literally every battle you were losing tens of thousands of lives. So it's like a scale of, of numbers at that point. But no one wanted to listen to Churchill until pretty much the people fought. Like the, the common person was essentially like, no, like I will fight to the death. I will fight fascism to the death. I do not want to sign a peace deal with uh, Nazi Germany. And that was it. That rhetoric uh, completely changed when that was actually that rhetoric switched when Churchill did the speech where he was like, we will fight on the landing grounds. We will fight on the beaches. We will fight on the hills. We will never surrender. That was actually the day that the government decided uh, it was going to be like a full uh, anti-Nazi mentality. No, no surrender. They were like saying like, there's no way that Hitler would ever uh, follow through with his word. And at the same time, it's like, what are we like then a lap dog for, for Hitler at that point? Yeah. What, what, um, there was like specific quotes, him saying literally in, in, in the lower house of commons, he was literally, so he's like, so what do you want? Do you want us to sign a pact to what end? What happens then? Yeah. The rich will be fine. The rich will have their little like tracts of land and they'll have the swastika flying over and sure, you know, some of the powerful people in the country will left, be left in their position just to have the swastika flag fly, flying over Parliament and over Windsor Palace and over Buckingham Palace and everything like that. Is that what you want? And, like, people went fucking ballistic. And it was I like, I, I, I'll, say, I'll say this. Uh, Churchill had a damn good way. He, he, he militarized the English language. Like he, he, like, I, I'll say this, like he, he was very good with his rhetoric and I'm not saying like he militarized it in a negative way. His rhetoric was amazing. And it was exactly what the country needed at the time, because had they signed that, like had they signed some sort of peace deal with uh, Hitler, then it would have practically been the entirety of Europe versus the rest of the world at that point. Different timeline. Back, back to that question in terms of like activism in a state where it's uh, very, locked down in terms of surveillance. You guys obviously heard of the poor guy who's uh, 18 years old, I think, who was shot in Hong Kong by the police. And he is the first person who was shot by a live round. This happened, I believe, a day or two ago. Um, Maybe it was yesterday. And it's he was shot with a revolver, and as somebody who goes to the range, revolvers are like, that's like, that's a powerful handgun, um, especially the one that he had. It was a very big one, and it was shot maybe two inches from the dude's chest into his chest. That's a big, ugly hole. That's a big, ugly hole, and I actually shared it on my Facebook. It's one of those like Facebook photos that Facebook covers. It's a photo mm-hmm. of a kid on the ground just staring in, in, at that, like the sky and, like, paramedics around him. Um, what are your opinions of uh, Hong Kong? Uh, what's going on in Hong Kong? If you, if you guys have, like, done a lot of research about it and everything. All right, so I have one more question that may sound completely off-topic, and it probably is. So, when you're on the West Coast by, your, by the lake, 
trying to become the next Walden, are you going to be supplementing your income by selling the area, people around your area, an array of smoked meats? Actually, yes. Yeah, I, I plan on starting a business out there. For for specifically that? Yep, for catering. Yeah, I mean, I, I do it here, but out there, I'll actually, the market is way more receptive to it because the specific right. area I'm going to move to is going to be um, relative. There's very little income gap. Um, right. The people that live there, the city is like less than 100 years old. It's going to be an area where it's not very liberal, which is one of the reasons that I'm considering being quiet. But uh, there's also like other ways to be quiet and like have a fake Facebook where you know, can't really be tied to you, which is probably what I'll do because I, I'm so emotionally attached to society and, and activism that I, you know, I have doubts that I could really be quiet. Long story short, I'm not that person. I'd rather get, you know, smashed in the face by a cop than hold my tongue. Good. Well, we need, we'll have you on again. If after you move, just in case you're like, yeah, I need to go through and activate my activism button. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, it's, 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 I've, I've been thinking about it. It's like so easy to make a Facebook account. Why not make a fake one and, you know, be active on that one? And if it gets shut down because it's a fake name or whatever, whatever, make another one. It's an email. <laughs> like, what, what difference does it make? What are they going to do? They like, there's no way, what are you going to no do? Hammer. Stop me from making Facebook accounts? Act- then how are you going to dif- differentiate me from someone actually trying to make a Facebook account? But, anyways, long story short, yeah, so the, the area that I live in, uh, or I'm going to live in, is going to be like, I wouldn't say, like, poor, but it's, like, people who aren't going to be buying. There's there's no fancy places around, really. There's a few, but, like, nothing crazy. Nothing like Boston. Nothing like anything like that. And it's much more receptive to just sort of humble food, and that's what I cook. It's barbecue, you know. Especially there's a lot of people that work. You know, if I have a food truck, then I can just go to, you know, places and, uh... Yeah, and sort of like, hey, you guys want pulled pork sandwiches for lunch? And then they'll say yes, and I'll be like, haha, thanks, I, I have rent to pay. <laughs> Here's a sandwich, thanks sandwiches. for putting myself yes. through life. I don't have kids to put through college, but I have myself to put through life. And I'll have a dog, so that'll be nice. I think that's going to about wrap it up in this case. Normally we'd go off and ask you if there's anything that you want to plug that's your things or whatnot. However, due to the state of secrecy that we have over you... Per your request... Per, per, per your request, we're not going to plug your shit. So, um, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, Doge has this and this and this. He can plug yeah. this and this. And it's like, wait, nope, can't. Unfortunately, right. yep. Yeah, and it's I'm, I'm someone who has so many of those things, too. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you have a lot going on, and I go into that... The only thing I, only reason I mentioned the the smoker is because that was like a running theme with a work. joke and everything. Yeah, yeah it was. It, it was. There was uh, the smoker, the other girl, or the new girl. It was something that I said. Uh, throwing you out a window. Throwing me out a window, and then me saying, "What was it? WTF?" Or just something, something like that that I kept saying every day, all the time. <laughs> Yeah, oh, there yeah. was a there's lot. A, of, there's a checklist. <laughs> oh yeah, the, yeah, they made. Oh yeah, the checklist. Oh, your your girlfriend. Yeah, so there was like my my my. Uh, it was she was still the new girl back then. <laughs> it's now my ex girlfriend. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. 
So we're going to wrap things up. One of the things that everybody might notice is um, our outro music this week. Alpha Riff finally finished the full song of what we use for our intro, which is the Riddle Master. We're going to outro that with the complete song with his permission. So it's new, exciting, and it's just for this episode. So we're not going to replay it. So we do want to go through and thank our staff. Uh, Noel, do you want to go through this, the credits? Today's guest is Doge, and we're going to mention that again. Your technical director is Huey Al Ghul. Our associate producer is Brian Grimes. Executive director, Bill Malvazi. Your hosts and executive producers, Noel Dial and Bill Malvazi. And music by the ever-wonderful Alpha Riff. Sign off and kick out the bot. My name is Bill. I'm Noel. And Craig, and get the fuck Craig, out. While you're getting the fuck out, we all have an extra chromosome. Except for Craig, who's a bot. Oh, yeah, I forgot. We all have an extra chromosome. Except the bot. Who has none. Get out. It looks like you're trying to run for your life. Would you like help? Click yes or none, you survive. What? I've had a few external and internal changes. You might not recognize me, but you're no stranger. Oh, God. You're the ones who keep besting my testing. Here you oh, are no. again. I guess you're destined for questing. How you been? Uh, we've I'm been... glad. Who am I? Oh, Damn it, I thought I had you that time. I'm here to recommend and do this predicament. And all I ask of you is my typical I'll inevitably neglect to mention you talk between the mountains and questionable reprehension. The conundrum, separately in opposite directions, over and under him, is how you'll be getting through. But not alone if you're wondering, I'll be with you both. Every step, I'm not shitting you. So what you're saying is you're gonna split you two. Yes, for the good